2: Uh, welcome welcome to the NFL Mocks podcast. I am your humble host, Brooks Austin. As always, I'm coming to you live from the beautiful Atlanta, Georgia, and I got my homeboy, Sarah, out there in Omaha. Sarah, how you doing tonight, brother?
3: Hey, I'm doing great, man. It's good to be here. It's uh, it's always a joy to talk football with you, man. So here we go.
2: Yeah, no, it's what we do. Obviously, here on the NFL Mocks podcast, we talk football. Uh, we we you know even when there's not news, we try to run it down and uh, figure out something to talk about something intriguing and interesting to bring the folks here on the NFL Mocks podcast and obviously as always we've got a great show for you guys playing tonight. Tonight um, we're going to be breaking down all nine of the new head coaches across the NFL and just kind of talk through what we expect from each of their you know respective teams across the league and then at the end of the show uh, we're going to give you two heels we will die on. It's something we like to do here on the NFL Mocks podcast. We're going to pick Two players in college that we know and we truly believe the hill we will die on there in college football in terms of college football players. Um, But first, man, you know what we got to do. We got to get to the business. However, wherever you found this podcast, please feel free to like, subscribe, rate, and review on this wonderful Friday Eve, if you will, on this Thursday night podcast we've got coming out for you guys. On Friday morning we appreciate you guys for listening of course but Sarah man the week's about to wrap up have you had a good one my man
3: yeah it has been a really good week and uh and like you said it's 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 awesome that we get to interact with these listeners I, I hope you all know if you have been listening to the NFL mocks podcast even before I jumped on with Brooks here uh, thank you so much for that we really appreciate it and uh yeah it, it is it has been an awesome week and here we, we're capping it off with We had Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals last night. We got the NBA Finals finishing up tonight. And uh, you never know what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, man, it's been a really good week of sports and just life in general. So... Loving it.
2: Yeah, man, you got the U.S. Open going on right now, too, and it's on the West Coast out there, so very rarely do I get home at a 6 o'clock in the afternoon and, and see golf on my TV, Tiger only through eight holes. So that's something to look forward to for the next you know, foreseeable future, next couple of days here on the East Coast. Obviously watch a little U.S. Open and see if Tiger can finish things off. I saw him at minus one through about ten. I don't think that's going to cut it. think the leaders at 600 but nonetheless that's enough golf talk hockey talk and NBA talk we promised you we're going to break down all nine of these head coach uh you know new head coaches in the NFL let you know what we kind of think about the hire itself and then kind of you know see what we think about what these teams are going to do uh in this upcoming season so we're going to start as the draft did here on the NFL Mocks podcast with the Arizona Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury uh Cliff Kingsbury if you will uh Sarah I'm gonna let you start off man what do you think of this hire and, and what are your kind of your expectations for the Arizona Cardinals this year
3: yeah I think it's a really bold move by the Cardinals I think obviously this ties directly with Steve Keim, <laughs> Steve Kim kind of fighting for his life as a general manager you know they made the move to go get Josh Rosen last year to move up to get him and it didn't quite work out the way that they had hoped in year one. And so then you go out and you get Cliff Kingsbury. And I think it speaks to the respect that the Cardinals have for Sean McVay and the work that he's done in Los Angeles with the Rams, because you hire a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, obviously you expect uh, those similar type of returns. I mean, Sean McVay was relatively unproven, unproven as a coach, just considering experience and everything. And, and Cliff Kingsbury is even more so, so you go get this guy and you go get him his quarterback that he wants and Kyler Murray, I think there's there's potential for something really interesting to happen here or it could all just crash and burn. But I, I, I tend to lean on the optimistic side. And so I think with Cliff Kingsbury, what he did with some quarterbacks in college, you might have heard of them: Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray. Uh, these are guys that he identified as Don't forget as that Davis Webb guy, man. Team. Davis Webb, baby. That's right. He was a third-round pick too. So yes, he was. Um, yeah, man. Definitely, there's definitely a uh, some serious upside here, but I think the floor is very low as well.
2: Yeah. Look, Sarah. Here's my thing. It's all fine and Danny to be a world-renowned offensive mind. Um, but if you don't have the Jimmies and the Joes, the X's and O's can only do so much for you. So I don't think it's going to be fair necessarily to judge Kingsbury on exactly what he's going to do this year. I think it's going to be kind of a long term thing. But you could have said the same thing last year with Steve Wilkes and they moved off of that as quickly as possible. That being said, I think they have a lot to look forward to in terms of offense in the near future. Kyler, I believe, is going to be very, very good there. I love Christian Kirk. I'm a lot higher on him than most. Of course, you've got. David Johnson of uh, course still there um, I just don't know about that defense man but just let's talk about this man don't act we can't act like Cliff Kingsbury is about to enter the league with something no one's ever seen man he hasn't re, or you know uh, you know reinvented the offensive scheme in general there's only so much you can do schematically in the NFL like I said so um you know I'm not necessarily as high as possible on the higher here with Cliff Kingsbury and I don't necessarily have high hopes for them this year because like I said the roster still down, Um, but, you know, maybe some – there's definitely positive things coming their way in Arizona, definitely offensively, so that's kind of my opinion there, Um, and, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think he's necessarily reinvented the wheel in terms of offense, or do you just think this is just another guy coming in with his system? Do you think he's going to change the NFL or anything like that, Sarah?
3: I I don't think he's that type of guy. I think really what you're looking for from a guy like Cliff Kingsbury is rapid development, and instant production from the quarterback position, right? Yes. I mean, that's what these NFL teams need. They need instant production from the quarterback position because if you can get a rookie quarterback on that rookie quarterback contract to produce right away, as we've seen from you know the Mahomes of the world and Deshaun Watson's and back when Russell Wilson was initially drafted and Andrew Luck, I mean, mm-hmm. you're able to build around these guys really well for a, a good amount of time, for the really for the next five years. And so... I think that that's really the goal is QB development. I don't think he's an offensive innovator in terms of – I don't think he's going to shock anybody with you know formations. There's, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And so yeah. he's got to find a way to get Kyler Murray to be good on a consistent basis, and I think that that's the ultimate goal uh, in hiring him.
2: Most definitely. So that is a team out there in Arizona that's trying to do it uh, in the traditional, um, you know, not necessarily traditional sense, but the new wave uh, in terms of hiring an offensive minded coach, a team that's kind of going against the trend, bucking against the trend is your Denver Broncos there, Sarah. They go out and hire Vic Vangio, Um, obviously Vangio most famously known for what he's done defensively. What do you think about this hire in Denver? And I think I kind of already know
3: yeah you know I think it's an interesting move because it it feels like Vic Fangio's been a head coach in the league just just having listened to his press conferences having kind of listened to, to what players are saying about him and the way that he runs things and operates things I mean obviously he's a veteran coach in the NFL but it seems like he's one of those guys where the 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 pressure, of being a first-time head coach doesn't seem like it's really going to get to Vic Fangio, right? I mean, we saw every stop that he was at as a defensive coordinator, instant success. And not only success, but he built elite defenses. We saw that in Chicago in a short amount of time from 2015 to 2018, really, that Bears defense took leaps and bounds. And then he did the same thing when he came from Stanford and, and joined Jim Harbaugh's staff with the San Francisco 49ers. You know, that was a bad team. And they pretty quickly became a great team, and specifically because they had an awesome defense. And I think that that's one of the things that Vic Fangio brings to the table is he's going to demand a lot out of those players right away. And though he is a rookie head coach, he's by no means uh, new to this thing. He's seen he's seen everything. And so I really, I really like the hire. I wouldn't have been upset if Mike Munchak had been the hire, but then for Fangio to go out and be able to hire him onto his staff – uh, even better. I mean, that's having your cake and eating it too so i I really like the higher but what did you think of it from a you know a non? Broncos fan perspective
2: Man, I'm going to be 100% honest with you I had the sound app pulled up I was getting ready to just hammer the Rasta horn, just the Homer horn we were talking about (laughs) last show but you know what, you played that relatively safe man, everything you said I pretty much have here in my notes and I'll break it down for you, look, we already know Vic Fangio, obviously like we talked about, most famously known for working with some of the best defenses we've seen in the last decade, right that San Francisco 49ers defense from 2011 to 2015 was absolutely dominant. And then he goes to Chicago, right, and rebuilds and turns that into a top-rated unit, okay? My only thing is you already hit on it, too. The trend in the NFL is young offensive guru, not necessarily a 60-year-old defensive coordinator taking his first ever head coaching job. And I mean, Sarah, this dude has never Ever. He's been coaching since 1979. He has never held the title of head football coach at any program or any level. So does that concern me a little bit? Yes. But it's not like he hasn't learned how to, you know, lead grown men in his time in the NFL. He's been there for the better part of the last two decades bouncing around throughout the league. Do I agree they are a defensive-led football team there in Denver? Absolutely 100% 100% for sure. So for that reason, it makes sense to me. Um, it's just not a part of the successful coaching trend we see as of now. And, and it might go back the other way, right? I mean, with guys like – and we're going to talk a little bit about them. The only successful defensive coordinator and defensive-minded head coach we all know of – is absolutely Bill Belichick. And you might be able to throw Mike Tomlin into that scenario. But, you know, he's been a head coach for over a decade now, so it's a little bit different. But I like to the hire there in Vic Fangio only for the reason, uh, like we talked about, they are a defensive-minded-led football team. They are a defensive-led football team. So I'm okay. The Vic Fangio was – but hands down the best defensive coordinator available for a head coaching job and like you said you got the number two there on your staff so I'm totally cool with it let's move on to the Jets and like I said man I commend you for not making me pound that Rasta horn that Homer horn that we've got downloaded here for the NFL Mocks podcast but like I said let's get on to these Jets man I know I was too and Adam Gase man I'm gonna be honest, sir. I feel like Gase got a bad rap for what went down in Miami. I mean, in his first year, he wins ten games for the first time since the famous Wildcat year down there in Miami, all the way in two thousand, all the way back in two thousand and eight. And then Tannehill gets hurt early in uh, in two thousand seventeen, and he's forced to play his boy Jay Cutler. Granted, he was the one that brought him in and decided to play him, but nonetheless, Jay Cutler no longer a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL at that point, even in two thousand seventeen though he showed some spurts and honestly I would argue that speaks more to Gase than what G- Cutler has left in the back. Last season he goes 7-9 and, and is canned, thrown out the door and I really don't know what he was supposed to do with that roster down there in Miami in the first place. I looked at it today in the last three uh, Pro Bowls, they've only had one and it's Rashad Jones, uh, the safety and then I guess you could throw Jarvis Landry in there, but he's no longer on the roster part of the reason that being uh, Gase kind of ran him out of there. I think he's. You know, helpful. He'll be a helpful hand in the development of Sam Darnold. My only reservation here with Adam Gase as a head coach is he strikes me as a bit of power hungry man, uh, and, and if not, just crazy. I mean, I know it's too much to look at the you know the or the first press conference he had with the crazy eyes and whatnot, but the dude strikes me a hundred percent as power hungry. Um, he's pretty much ran everyone that's ever gave him flack out of the building, all the way dating back to Miami. And I know the Mannings speak extremely high of him, but you can only run on the Manning uh, word for so long. What are your thoughts of Adam Gase there in New York with the Jets, my man?
3: Yeah, very interesting, very interesting hire because I think that a lot of teams would have liked to have Gase. Um, well, I, you would think so, but it it kind of seemed like he wasn't really seem like a in dry market. High high demand, man, to be honest now with that you. I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought I would have thought he would have had at least a few uh a few openings that, that would've you know, he would have been able to kinda of just pick and choose one or the other. But I think he actually ended up in the right spot with a quarterback like Sam Darnold to, to be able to work with and then to go for that team to go out and get Le'Veon Bell. He's got some he's got better weapons immediately in New York ever had in Miami which you alluded to just now but I'll, I'll kind of give you some background on why I think Gase may be a bit of a power trip and this is simply a theory this is not a, a statement of fact or anything but one of the first prominent jobs that Gase had in the NFL was when he got hired on as a wide receivers coach by Josh McDaniels with the Denver Broncos back in mm. 2009 when McDaniels took his first head coaching gig. Uh, shout out to the Indianapolis Colts for dealing with that guy. But um, I, I don't know that just being associated with McDaniels in that way makes him similar personality-wise, but McDaniels is a big-time power trip, and really Bill Belichick has proven to be the only guy that has uh, McDaniels under his thumb. And so, again, I'm not saying that they're exactly the same, but Gase, that may be part of the reason why he – is like that because you attract, you know, you attract the type of people around you who who are kind of a lot like you, and mm-hmm. and I think that that's kind of the case here with McDaniel's and Gase, and then, uh, yeah, Gase he did a great job with Peyton Manning, unquestionably. He was a far better but fit who with Manning Sarah, than, let's be honest. than, right? Well, I'll tell you what, it, Mike McCoy wasn't, and Mike McCoy, I won't say limited Peyton Manning, but because it was. Manning's first year coming off injury in 2012 when he was working with McCoy, but when when uh when Adam Gase stepped in and took that offensive coordinator role in Denver, I mean we saw literally the highest scoring offense of all time. And again, that was legendary Peyton Manning status. That wasn't all to do with Gase, but at the same time I think there is something that was the that was the year that got him the head coaching gig really um he could have he could have gone to Cleveland right after that year but he decided to stay with Peyton for one more year and so um you just never know how things are going to work out in the NFL but I think Gase is in probably the best spot that he could have been in uh, unless he had taken Denver's head coaching gig uh after that 2014 season which he wasn't ever really a realistic consideration for so I think he's in a good spot
2: Fair, all fair right there. Let's move on to Green Bay and their new head coach, Matt LaFleur. I'll start off, Sarah, and I'll preface everything I'm about to say with this right here. You have Aaron freaking Rodgers up there in uh, Green Bay, which should make everything 10 times easier uh, for all head coaches involved. That being said, I was very, very unimpressed with what LaFleur did last season in his only season in Tennessee Man, I'll, I'll tell you this: Marcus Mariota is by no stretch of the means Aaron Rodgers, but it just didn't look great, man. Yes, Mariota had a career high in completion percentage last year, but he had a career low in yards and touchdowns. And some people may say, "Well, he was hurt last year." Well, he's hurt every single year. Uh, his most starts <laughs> he's ever made in a season was fourteen. Uh, the last, you know, his second and third year in the league last season, he started thirteen games. So similar uh, games started and, and opportunities and attempts uh, career. Like I said, career low in yards and touchdowns, two things that are very, very important to me at the quarterback position. I know a lot of quarterbacks nowadays can have some empty yards but uh, the stats didn't look good the games themselves didn't look good Um, the only thing I will say positive about Matt LaFleur is I absolutely love this guy's coaching tree and the history of coaching staffs that he's Mm -hmm. been on. Take a look at this in the last five seasons these are some of the names that he's worked with say what you want about Brian Kelly there at Notre Dame. He's pretty much known as offensive genius dating back to what he did at Cincinnati. Okay, He worked with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta from 15 to 16. He goes out and helps Sean McVay out in his first season as offensive coordinator there in LA and he even got a touch of the Belichick style kind of if you will last season with Vrabel. Um, All those guys are great coaches in my mind you sprinkle in a little Dan Quinn there during his time in Atlanta. And I think this guy's got, at least if he's done anything but observe uh, since he's been back in the NFL since 2014, coming back from Notre Dame, man, I think he's had to have learned uh, some really good traits. And like I said, he's got Aaron Rodgers, so it can't be that hard. And that football team definitely loaded up this offseason. What do you think about Matt LaFleur there in Green Bay?
3: I, I actually am with you on the coaching tree situation there. I think he... I think LaFleur is a good candidate or was a good candidate for teams this offseason. I just I don't like the fit with the Packers at all. Um and I'll tell you why. It's because I think that there's we saw the obvious power struggle with Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. and Mike McCarthy. You better there. have
2: a you better have Wade as a head coach if you're gonna come in there and tell Aaron Rodgers what to do. Is yeah. that what you're getting at?
3: Yeah, I think so. And if, if we can circle back to to a name that we already mentioned I mean, if you're the Green Bay Packers, would there have been a better hire this offseason for your team than than Vic Fangio? I mean, obviously, you could have picked, he, he could have picked a solid enough offensive coordinator or pretty much just told Rodgers, you know, hey, you're the, you're kind of the de facto offensive coordinator here, and and if you just picture Vic Fangio going in there, he's familiar with the division, and now he's got Rodgers on his side, well, you up that defense there in Green Bay. And that just that's what made more sense to me than anything this offseason would have been to have the Packers go for a defensive-minded coach and kind of let Rodgers run the show offensively. And I, I, I would think that there could have been some nice harmony in that. But obviously they chose a young, offensive-minded head coach to go with an established superstar quarterback. I can't imagine what could possibly go wrong there. But, no, I'm just, seriously, it, it doesn't sound like a good – situation on paper Um, and so I just I'll be anxious to see how it actually ends up going for these guys because I don't I don't like the fit um, between those two guys kind of in in that potential for a power struggle
2: if you had to pick one of the other would you say the NFC North is trending up or trending down because I lean more towards trending down what are your thoughts
3: Yeah, I think it's definitely trending down. And until the Detroit Lions start to do something, I think the Packers are kind of trending down a little bit. And then, Mm -hmm. and Minnesota last year underwhelmed. And Chicago, does it get much better than last year? I mean, they had, I think they had the number one or number two defense in the entire NFL. That's what I was about
2: to say. I'm pretty sure the Chicago Bears led the NFL in turnover ratio as well. (laughs) Um, The ball just doesn't bounce your way like that every season. Um, And I know they had some bad luck there with the Cody Parkey field goal miss. Uh, in the playoffs, but during the regular season, man, they had some of the best luck uh just in terms of the way the ball was bouncing and football's a funny game man uh sometimes that can happen. And I know their point differential looks a little bit skewed because of that game against Tampa, but it wasn't like they were blowing teams out all year long. They were, not I mean, they would pull games out here and there, um, but they, they weren't winning by three scores every week is what I'm trying to say. Um, so let's move on to yeah, that Miami right. Dolphins hire. Uh, they pick up Brian Flores, man, the only man in the last decade that I can remember, at least to my knowledge, that was actually acknowledged as the defensive coordinator under Bill Belichick. Man. Man. If you had to point at the only hmm. public thing Bill Belichick is self-absorbed about, in my opinion, it's this, the defensive coordinator position. I've never heard or seen him give credit to his defensive coordinators. That's even dating back to Matt Patricia because, like I said, Bill Belichick sees that as his defense and Brian Flores... Earned that title of defensive coordinator, so for him to earn that, it tells you kind of what kind of coach he is there, um, just in terms of being you know a, a leader and a defensive coordinator and From what i 've read, uh, Flores has the most proven and exceptional leadership skills of all these new hires. Dudes just want to play for him. He just understands uh, the the human and the grown man football player, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And my favorite part Sayer. He's a guy that's bounced back and forth on both sides of the football in his coaching career up there Mm -hmm. in New England. So he can definitely relate to both sides of the ball. He can relate and he can communicate. Those are two very, very important things uh, for a new head coach. And I think he's going to establish a really good culture down there. And he's got a good Good football player to start it with in Mika Fitzpatrick. What do you think about the hire here in Miami, Mister Flores?
3: Yeah, I think if you look at what Bill Belichick has always valued very highly in his players, it's versatility, right? Especially on the defensive side. Of all. Um, yeah. And and Brian Flores has kind of been like that coaching slash front office uh, versatile type of guy for him. I mean, dating back to two thousand four. This guy was a scout for the New England Patriots, and so he's not only worked on the coaching staff in a number of different areas, like you said, he worked as an assistant on offense. He's also been in the scouting department for Belichick. He's he's one of his most trusted guys dating back almost two decades, so he's been working with Belichick since he was in his early 20s, and now here he is coming off of a season where he He was acknowledged as a defensive coordinator. He's coached the linebackers. He's coached the safeties. He's been the special teams assistant. He's done a little bit of everything. And I think that bodes really well for him as a, a head coach of a young team like this, mm-hmm. um, especially with, like you said, the, the guys like Minka Fitzpatrick. And we mentioned it on a previous podcast, too, a guy that I thought is going to be an instant impact uh, rookie defensive lineman in Christian Wilkins, yeah. not necessarily only for his abilities as a defensive lineman because he's a, a culture out publisher. And I think when you have Flores as a uh, the head coach establishing that culture and these guys to wrap around, I just see this whereas the Green Bay situation seems like it's a, a recipe for disaster. This seems like it's a recipe for just like perfect harmony if everything can come into place and especially if Josh Rosen can give can give the Miami Dolphins what everyone thought he could be coming out of UCLA.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing that Brian Flores has got working for him is the fact that in the most important positions, or at least his best players, are very, very young, uh, and that's probably going to help him with his culture because everyone knows that New England culture is not easy, man. Those boys go to work, or excuse me, those men, they go to work every day, and and they don't take any days off. I mean, that is Bill Belichick's motto, no days off. It's a lot harder uh, just in terms of the sheer workload Uh, at places like that, and and it takes guys, you know, like Minka Fitzpatrick, who comes from an Alabama, and it takes guys like Christian Wilkins, who comes from a Clemson. Those are two programs that work their ass off uh, Monday through Friday getting ready for Saturday football games, and that's similar to the, uh, you know, the culture that's going to be built at places like Miami and wherever Bill Belichick disciples go. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, man, but I think Josh McDaniels, That was part of his problem out there in Denver. Maybe he was a little too, you know, hard-nosed for a guy who hadn't earned the right to be hard-nosed. And I think that's part of the problem with all these Belichick disciples because they don't have the clout and they don't have the history to prove that, hey, guys, this works for me. I know this works for me. Just trust me and work hard. So it's going to be hard for him to, you know, establish that. But, again, like we said, when you got guys like Christian Wilkins, proven winners and proven workers – uh, like him and Minka Fitzpatrick, I think he's got a good shot at making it happen. Let's move on. Uh, let's stay in Florida to the Tampa Bay Bucks, man. Bruce Arians down there. And Sarah, I'll tell you what, I love this hire for one reason and one reason only, this dude's press conferences, man. There's not a funnier or more quotable <laughs> coach in all of football in my mind, outside of maybe Mike Tomlin. Um, I definitely think this is a last-stitched effort uh, to save their franchise quarterback there in Jameis Winston before they have to make a major financial financial decision uh, with his rookie contract coming up. Um, but I got a sneaky, sneaky feeling uh, this decision at head coach might pay off. Um, what, what what kind of your thoughts here? Um, I, my only thing is the NFC South is an absolute powerhouse, man. There's just way too much going on down there. What do you think?
3: Yeah, a lot of talented teams there in the NFC South, yeah. and I think that Bruce Arians is definitely a coach that deserves a lot of respect for the work that he's done through the years. I mean, with Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, most re- you know in the more re- recent years, and then Arizona straight after that. Um, you know, there there are definitely reasons to believe that he can help turn this ship around in Tampa Bay. Pirate reference, absolutely intended there, or pun, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I think that. That he's got a fun group of offensive weapons, and like we've talked about and mentioned, kind of an underrated number one passing attack from last year in terms yeah. of passing. So, And they've got the pieces defensively now. I mean, they're going to, if nothing else, they're going to be extremely fast on the defensive side of the ball yeah. uh, with Devin White and Levante David roaming around that linebacker position. And so, Deion Buchanan, he'll be in some... the
2: box as well. So, I mean, yeah. they, they can flat out run.
3: Good call. They can, absolutely. So they're going to be able to air it out, and they're going to be able to match speed defensively. And so I like it, man. I like this move because I, I think Bruce Arians is a really good offensive coach in this league, and he's got some good weapons, so I could see this working out really well.
2: Yeah, my only, my only concern there in Tampa is I, I genuinely think they might have to score 35 every game just to win. Um, but let's move on. I mean, the speed's there, but there's still a lot of holes in that defense. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the Browns. Uh, there, I know he, he was an interim head coach at the back end of the last season, uh, but we got Freddie Kitchens there in Cleveland, first-year head coach. And Sarah, no coach in all of professional Football has more pressure on them than Freddie Kitchens in my mind, and here's why. He's a first-time head coach with arguably the most talented roster in all of professional football. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more talented, just pure talent from top to bottom uh, in terms of roster in all of football. In my mind, an 8-8 eight eight football season would be a success for a first-year head coach in that organization with all the you know seemingly doomed years they've had over the last two decades since returning to Cleveland. But 8-8 eight eight would be a colossal failure to those same exact fans that have gone through all of those same hardships. They just expect more for the first time ever, and that's why I think this guy has more pressure. Pressure on him than anybody else in the league. I just think it's a lose-lose scenario for a first-time head coach like Freddie Kitchens. If he goes ten and six and gets knocked out in the first round of playoffs, do you think the Cleveland Browns fans are faithful is still satisfied even with that? And that's a lot to ask of a rookie head coach. There.
3: Yeah, I think I think you hit it right on the head. He's going to have the most pressure on him and if the if the Browns don't win the Super Bowl guess who's going to be the first person to get blamed I can tell you right now it's not going to be Baker Mayfield I can tell you right now it's not going to be Odell Beckham it's not going to be Jarvis Landry it's not going to be Nick Chubb it's going to be Freddie Kitchens because he's the guy that we picked to take us to the ship and and that's exactly the type of pressure um, you know that it's it's not necessarily warranted from Browns fans but it's kind of almost like like with the Chicago Cubs back in 2016 it was kind of like okay enough is enough like eventually like you said earlier the ball's going to have to bounce our way enough times and and at this point it's it's the players are there the roster is there everything seems to be there John Dorsey's done his job baker Mayfield's developed rapidly Odell Beckham is a superstar you got a roster full of superstars if this thing doesn't work out it will rightfully fall on Freddie Kitchen's shoulders and and I just hope the leash isn't too short for him because you want to be able to be patient like this this shouldn't be a Super Bowl or bust year I don't don't think it is from any outsider's perspective but for Browns fans the pressure is going to be high and Kitchens I mean if you can't take the heat you know Oh come on, give it to to me.
2: Get out the kitchens. Come on, man. You got to pound that one, man. Come on. No, that's funny. (laughs) Um, No, I think I think we're both right on right there. I think uh, Freddie Kitchens has definitely got the most pressure on him of all these guys. Uh, Last and certainly least in my mind is Zach Taylor, (laughs) the new head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. First off, rule number one, sir. Anyone that's any Zach, excuse me, that spells his name. Uh, without a K or at least an H at the end is an absolute psycho, and that's pure facts. Okay. I didn't get this hire when it was announced, and I still don't get it. Sarah, eight years ago, this guy was a graduate assistant at Texas AM. What were you doing eight years ago? I know what I was doing. I was just now graduating high school, but nonetheless, this guy was just graduating college. Okay. Um, I have nothing nice to say here at all. In fact, I can say more nice things about Zach Taylor, the quarterback at Nebraska, than I could ever venture to say about Zach Taylor, the football coach, um, I think Cincy is by far, in a way, the worst team in football this season, and I know that sounded extremely, extremely harsh, but you literally just hired the quarterback's coach from L.A. I just don't understand that. This guy hadn't been an offensive coordinator, a sole uh, offensive coordinator in the NFL period, and now he's about to be a head coach of an NFL franchise. I just don't get it. I understand the Sean McVay trend, but please enlighten me here, Sarah.
3: No, I, I'm with you. I don't think this is a good situation at all. I think their roster is sort of depleted. They don't have a good offensive line. Andy Dalton has slowly, steadily been on the decline, and AJ Green's not getting any younger, and he's starting to get injured quite a bit more. And so you've got a quarterback who's on the decline, a, a new head coach, a first-time head mm-hmm. coach, who, you know, he's he's coming into a situation where the talent is just not there on, on both sides of the ball. And he has no real experience calling plays at the NFL level whatsoever. And so I just, I, I'm, I understand why people want guys like Sean McVay, but I mean, this is taking it a little bit too far. And I know that the Bengals weren't the only team to interview Zach Taylor. He was kind of a, he was kind of a candidate all over the place. And, and so I know that other teams respect what he's doing right now, but at the same time, man, the, the, thing i think that he has going for him is that there's no pressure to perform right now for the bengals i mean everyone expects them to be terrible for sure. including probably their fan base and so that's a benefit in his uh in his favor but then again i mean you didn't go out and get a quarterback until ryan finley in the fourth round and so you picked the most underwhelming prospect to give to your you know supposed quarterback guru of a head coach and uh, and they didn't go get anyone in free agency. I just I don't like what they did in the draft. I I, I just I'm not a big fan. So, yeah, uh, I am with you. I don't like this hire at all.
2: All right. So those are you know, both of us don't like that. Let's get into something we do like. And that's the two hills we will die on. All right. These are the guys in college football that we flat out know will be superstars this coming fall for their respective teams. I'll start first with my number one guy off the board. Is Jerry Judy, man. Dude is a flat-out stud. If you haven't figured out by now... I'm a sucker for Yak. Uh, Give me a little yards after the catch, and I'll love you forever, okay? Well, Judy gives you that in bunches. He averaged last season 19.34 yards per reception. Uh, The only player with 1,300 yards or more last season with a better average uh, per catch was Akeem Butler, uh, now of the Arizona Cardinals. So Mm -hmm. that is my first guy off the board. That is the hill I'll die on. Jerry Judy will be a stud. This season, who you guys Sarah who's your number one hill you're dying on?
3: I think the number one hill that I'm dying on, on is Tua Tagovailoa from mm-hmm. Alabama. Man, I know, I know, being a Georgia, being a Georgia guy, the Alabama quarterback may not be the most favored, you know, person in that community in that area there, but I think that Tua is definitely going to be a superstar at the next level, and I can't wait to see how how well he's able to play with those guys around him. I mean, you, you get these uh, the most freakish athletic talent I think Alabama's ever had at the wide receiver position, and they've had some good ones. Mm-hmm. But in combination together with with this guy at the quarterback position, I mean, it, this is a, a Nick Saban-led team. We always know that their, their offense, even if it may be great in the running game, is always being carried by that defense. But I think this is an offense that can stand alone and could play in any conference at any level, uh, it's it's good. And and Tua is the architect. Or he's not the architect, but he's the guy leading the charge. And I just love what he did coming in the second half of that national championship game as a true freshman. This kid is poised. And then he comes out last year with they, – they couldn't have had higher expectations. I mean, people were calling him a top overall pick. Pick yeah. In that in the second half of that game, I remember my Twitter feed just going nuts. Like this guy's a future number one pick, and pressure did not get to him at all. Despite mm-hmm. playing through injury last year, I mean, completed sixty nine percent of his passes nice. at eleven yards a pop, uh, and just really great numbers. Forty three TDs and six interceptions. And he, when he's healthy, he can run pretty well. So I think that this guy is just a superstar in the making and I love what he brings to the table man. I can't wait to see him in the NFL.
2: No, solid pick. Let's stay in a snake draft order. Give me your number two guy off the board, Sarah. What's the second hill you're dying on?
3: All right, the second hill that I'm dying on the this guy is I think he's gonna be my number one defender going into this college football season on the 2020 NFL Draft Board, and that's none other than my Iowa Hawkeyes defensive end, A.J. Epinesa. Uh, he's he's just awesome, dude. I mean, this guy, talk about just a well-rounded game off the edge. I think that he is going to be – this. Is, here's your hot take alert for the day, baby. Better prospect than Nick Bosa Ooh. at the defensive end spot. Better prospect. We saw Bosa go number two overall this past year. So Epinesa says my guy, man. He's got NFL bloodlines. He is uh, he, power, speed, length, doesn't matter. He, he, this kid is insanely good. Turn off tape. Watch what this guy can do against all types of offensive linemen. I, he, just, he does everything well, man, and he's going to be really good for a long time.
2: All right, I man. I'm cool with the pick. I think in in very limited action there in Iowa. It's not like he's played a ton of snaps. I think he had what 12 and a half sacks last year there for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, dude's definitely getting it af- getting after it up there. And for a six foot five guy, I believe that's his measurables. He bends really, really well. Um, so we'll see what he can do this year up there in the Big Ten. My last hill, the last guy we'll talk about tonight, man. I'm gonna give you a little Homer here. Uh, DeAndre Swift in my mind he's the best back in the country and I don't even think it's really close Sarah I mean if you wanted to fight me uh, with a little bit of Travis Etienne I mean we could kind (laughs) of agree to disagree there Uh, but Swift man he has a one cut ability and quickness that's beyond elite at the collegiate level not to mention man we talked about it a couple podcasts back when you were taking your day off he's playing behind the best offensive line (laughs) in the country there at Georgia um, in, in my humble opinion and if anybody knows offensive line uh it 's your boy, uh, and you can sound whatever horn we 've got going on there. Um, but you know my best part about this DeAndre Swift pick here man is is all for you gamblers right here. Any of you gamblers listening to this show right now, DeAndre Swift is a plus nine fifty Uh, odds to win the Heisman this year, Uh, so for you layman's terms guys, uh, if you were to go betting 10 bucks on DeAndre Swift to win the Heisman and he turns out to do it uh, which is like the 4th or 5th highest odds this year in college football uh, it'll pay off $95, so it's a pretty solid investment if you ask me, I think he's got a good shot to do so Uh, I'm, I'm sniffing about 1500 maybe 1600 yards and probably 12 or 13 scores this year for my boy out of Georgia what do you think sir?
3: I like it, man, and they've had some really good backs in recent years. So
2: RBU, my hard God. to
3: argue with that for sure. I, I, I mean, I may have an argument with you about Iowa's offensive line being in that mix. So get out I, of here, I, you know. We'll see what happens. <laughs>
2: we'll count it up. We'll count it up next, uh, next, next spring when uh, the draft's over. We will compare Iowa Hawkeyes. Or no, no, no. We'll just take this year's roster because I know there's some undergrad guys uh, probably up there at Iowa, uh, unless they're all older guys. But nonetheless, we'll see of this starting five, how many guys end up playing in the league from both these teams. And we'll rehash this debate in a couple of years. How's that sound?
3: There we go. I like it. I like it.
2: Put it on the board. That is our show for tonight on the NFL Mox podcast. As always, you can check me out on Twitter at Brooks underscore Austin FS. Check out all the articles up there at NFLMox.com. I'm sure we'll have a hot new uh, article dropping for you in the morning. Say, send the people out.
3: You know, guys, you hate to see it, but the Houston Texans, if you're a fan of the Houston Texans, your team had the worst offseason of any team in the NFL. You failed to surround Deshaun Watson with appropriate talent. Any anybody else on the offensive line would do besides the guys that you brought in. Uh and this may turn out to be a hot take, but you know what? I don't care. I think the Texans should have gone all in. They should have tried to sign Le'Veon Bell. They should have tried to re-sign Tyron Matthew. They should have kept the dogs together on defense, man, and, and they didn't do it. They didn't put an offensive line around Deshaun Watson. They didn't get him the needed weapons. I think that if you're a Houston Texans fan, you hate to see it. You failed this offseason big time.
2: Man, I'm going to tell you what. You hate to see it. The national news and media making it a big deal out of Cam Newton's new throw-in motion, apparently, man. Let me break something down for you. Tom Brady... <laughs> revamped his throwing motion 2 years ago. Tony Romo was notorious for working on his throwing motion constantly. Aaron Rodgers reportedly talked constantly about how he reconfigured his throwing motion the moment he got to Green Bay and watched Brett Favre, okay? You hate to see it with the national media making it a big deal about a quarterback who <laughs> throws for a living trying to get better at throwing for a living you just hate to see it I don't get it don't overblow it folks it's Cam Newton he's six five he's had two shoulder surgeries in a row of course he's gonna revamp his throwing motion you idiots you hate to see it that's what we're gonna send you guys out for man and that was right off the top of the dome I'm gonna be 100% honest with you Sarah I know we talked about the you hate to see it segment coming into this tonight (laughs) but I totally forgot but that's what I hate to see man don't blow that out (laughs) of the water just because it's Cam Newton you hate to see it
3: you do you really Uh, do
2: All right, folks, we appreciate you guys for listening. As always, we'll see you next time.